looking at that one song, who in the world writes melodious sonnet? I look at that and I go, those aren't words I use. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> uh, good time of worship. We're in First Chronicles chapter 19 this morning. Uh, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of King Saul, has been honored by King David. Mephibosheth is lame for when he was a young little toddler. His nanny was fleeing and she dropped him. And evidently there was spinal cord damage or something, but he, he became lame being dropped by his nanny. But being Saul's grandson put him in danger of being killed by David, or so he thinks. Because it was a custom uh, at that time in that part of the world that a victorious king would kill all the family of his opponents. You didn't want any of them rising up and causing a rebellion, so you just killed them. Mephibosheth fears David when he's summoned by David to appear before him. And so Mephibosheth, he prostrates himself, bowing down before David, and he refers to himself as a dead dog. And what he's saying is, I am no threat whatsoever to your kingdom, David. But David is not there to arrest him or anything, but he honors Mephibosheth, and he honors him because Jonathan, his father, and he opens up the king's table to him. Mephibosheth is to dine with the king on a daily, continual basis. A great honor for Mephibosheth, and he becomes royalty, not an outcast. And it's an unexpected blessing for him. David is feeling benevolent at this time. He's honored Mephibosheth, and he wants to honor Hanun. And he's the son of King Nahash, who had showed David mercy in the past, it showed him kindness. And this is recorded in 2 Samuel 10 and also in 1 Chronicles 19, but we're going to look at the 1 Chronicles account as we try to piece together some of these events that are similar. 1 Chronicles 19. It happened after this that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanun in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and spy out the land? Therefore Hanun took David's servants, shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, 
and sent them away. Then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. And when the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanun and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syria, Makkah, and Zobath. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots, that's a lot by the way, with the king of Makkah and his people who came and encamped before Mediba. Also the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city, and the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage, and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians. They fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. So Joab went to Jerusalem. Now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river, Shophath, the commander, and Hadazar, the army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came upon them and set up in battle array against them. So when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers, 40,000 foot soldiers, and the Syrians, and killed Shopeth, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hadazir saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became his servants. So the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. David at this time has been king for about 15 years, and he's enjoying the good life. All his wants and needs have been satisfied. And that's usually when we can be the most dangerous to ourselves. But anyway, Hiram uh, from Lebanon has sent cedars to David for him to build him a house out of cedar. And there is peace there in Israel. But Hanun of the Ammonites is not trusting of David. The messengers of King David uh, are shamed, uh, insulted by Hanun. Hanun, convinced by his advisors, 
that David's messengers, they're not of peace, but they are really spies. They've come to spy out the land. Hanan, he believes his advisors, and he shaves the beard off of the messengers. Not only does he shave them, in 2 Samuel it tells us that he shaved off half their beard, making it, you know, a more of a chore to uh, grow back a full beard. And he just shaved off half. It's a total insult upon the messengers of David. And he cuts off their garments right along the buttocks area, and David's messengers have been shamed beyond words. Now, in the Middle East today, the people allow their beards to grow. The Arabs, as well as the Jews, all grow out their beards. It's a custom of the Middle East. And cutting off their garments and exposing their nakedness is insult upon injury. David feels for his messengers that have been insulted. They've been shamed. And he tells them, hey, he sends word to them, stay in Jericho. Don't come up to Jerusalem. Stay in Jericho until your beards grow out and you won't be a reproach. And in verse 6, the people of Ammon realize their insult of King David's messengers have made them repulsive to David in all of Israel. So what does uh, the Ammonites do? They open up their war chest. They give 1,000 talents of silver. That's a lot. I tried my best to look up how much money that would be in today's money, and it, it gets diluted. It's a weight. It's a weight of silver. And uh, one talent, I think, is a thousand shekels, something like this. So it was a lot of money. And he opens up and he pays the Syrians to fight with them. And he hires 32,000 chariots. A chariot was like an army tank. He's got 32,000 chariots to go up against Israel and 40,000 foot soldiers. That's a big army. And you get the feeling that Hanun and the Ammonites have been looking for a reason to exterminate Israel. But that's not new, is it? Israel, as God's chosen, has faced hostilities from their Arab neighbors for millenniums. The very day, 1948, when Israel became a nation, they were attacked by all of their surrounding Arab nations. But guess what? God delivered Israel. God protected Israel. He wouldn't allow them to be snuffed out. Here in the United States, recently, we struck Syria with multiple missiles, like two weeks ago, in response to their current uh, government uh, regime using poisonous gas on their own civilians. 
on their own people. And so we struck them with missiles. And that just gives us a little insight into the barbaric behavior of some of the leaders of Arab nations. Oftentimes, those who oppose us are confused by our acts of kindness. You ever have a relative wonder about your motives because you did something kind? Why do you give to that church? Why do you give to missionaries? You know, and, and they don't understand. Unbelievers expect us to act like they feel. And when we don't, it can be offensive to them. I was in a volleyball game a couple of weeks back. Well, a couple of decades back. <laughs> and there was a young man right across the net from me. And he wasn't very coordinated. And you'd hit the ball in his direction and everybody on the other team would go over and cover for him and hit the ball and wouldn't let him participate. So the ball came to me and I gently lobbed the ball over the net to him. I wanted to see him participate. To my surprise, he missed it. And the entire team, the other team, accused me of picking on their weak link that I would hit the ball to the man that I knew couldn't return it. And I was just trying to get him involved. But one of the fellows came over to me afterwards and he said, you keep doing good and ignore those voices of your opponents. And that was good advice. Sometimes, maybe you've seen this, doing good can be its own reward. Nobody else recognizes it. And David, he is sympathetic for his messengers. They have been insulted. They have been shamed. And, and he tells his soldiers, his messengers, go to Jericho, which is not a Jewish city. It's a mixed city. And you wait there until your beards grow out. Then you come up to Jerusalem. David could have used this shaming of his messengers as a rallying force to bring Israel together, but he doesn't. He wants to lessen their shame. He doesn't want to draw attention to the insults that have been put upon his men. But war, it's inevitable uh, because of the foolish, shameful treatment of David's messengers. David summons his general Joab and the Israel army of mighty men to battle the Syrians and the Ammonites. Thousands upon thousands will now fight in a war, in a battle, and many lives will be lost because Hanan, the king of the Ammonites, chooses to insult David's messengers versus receiving them courteously. All he had to do was be courteous, and this whole war would have been averted. And, but in uh, verse 18, we say David enters into the war. 
And look at the casualties. 7,000 chariots of the Syrians, 40,000 of their footmen, they're killed. That's a lot of people to die because of hasty actions of a king. An extremely costly war in lives for Syria. And the entire nation of Syria now becomes Israel's servant or slaves. And it's all because of Hanan insulting messengers that were coming to comfort him. So what's the lesson in that for us? Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount had something to say about us when we're insulted or persecuted. So turn with me to Matthew 5, and we'll look at two or three verses there. Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus told us, Watch out, this is going to happen. Notice when they were falsely accused. And our intentions can be good, but they can be misunderstood. When those who do not know Christ begin to ridicule and persecute us falsely, Our reward is great. Jesus tells us, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. For our future reward is not on earth, but is in heaven. And sometimes we we can't relate to that because heaven is still future for us. But we are no better than the prophets. And we will be persecuted as the prophets were persecuted. You take a stand for Jesus, it will cost you, you will pay. Do we really understand, do you understand, do I understand the world and those of Satan's kingdom are not fair? Do we really understand that? They're not fair. They're not fair in their judgment. They're not loving of Christians trying to live righteously. And perhaps you've seen it. As a Christian, you live in a fishbowl. Everybody's watching you. Are your family reunions like mine? Where they're just looking at you and watching to see how you behave? But anyway, we can be criticized persecuted by people living in darkness whose deeds are evil. Do we truly accept what Jesus said, because the world hated me, they're going to hate you? Most of us want to be loved, not hated. But what did Jesus say? Because the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Our attitude and misunderstanding comes when we expect the non-believers 
to think as we think in a God-fearing, righteous way. They don't think like we think. Our nation has many laws that are contrary to Scripture because our lawmakers do not think like Christians think. Abortion, the murder of babies in the mother's womb, is promoted by those profiting from the abortions. We're silenced on the job. We're silenced in public schools. And we're silenced by things like separation of church and state. Those who want separation, what they're saying to us is, don't push your Christian ethics on us. We don't want to hear about God in the classroom. This is going back several years. But when I was in junior high school in Michigan, that's a lot of years ago, by the way, each morning the whole class stood hand over heart and we said the Pledge of Allegiance. Everybody. We also said the Lord's Prayer each and every morning. In a public school. Today, we dare not pray at school. But we have police officers walking the hallways to try to protect us, our children. I have seen in my lifetime Christian behavior at school totally abolished. And I'm not all that old. Many people are forbidden to speak about Jesus on the job. Don't be bringing religion in here, and don't you dare pray on the job. Our military has become all-inclusive of all religion, including Wicca chaplains. That's in our today's world. We have no Christian guidelines to speak of in our society. Do you wonder why there's a gender issue then? No guidelines? Nothing's wrong? Everything's relative? Well, recently I left a Walmart, and there was a Boy Scout troop out front. They wanted donations. I couldn't give them a donation. And I was a Boy Scout. But the Boy Scouts are no longer strictly for boys. Come on. What is our world coming to? But in this same passage that we read in, in Matthew 5, Jesus goes on to say, We are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but is to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We are to be salt, but when salt loses its flavor, when it is no longer salty, it is good for nothing. It's to be trampled underfoot. Salt, when it loses its saltiness, becomes a weed killer. That's all it's good for. Jesus wants us, his people, to be like a light set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Don't allow persecution, and we as Christians face persecution. Don't let it silence you. Obey your Lord. Let your light so shine before men. King David, back to our story, came to the rescue of his messengers that were shamed by Hunan, the king of the Ammonites. We have a great opportunity in our society to identify with Jesus. It's an opportunity. John 15, verse 18 through 20, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a promise to hang on your refrigerator. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But in this passage, we have Jesus speaking right to every believer. And he says, the world hated me. And the world will hate you. That's not a very glorious promise. But we are no greater than our master. We're no greater than he. Now, we're not to act in a way that invites persecution. I'm not saying go out and be a martyr unless God calls you to be a martyr, then be a martyr. But do not allow persecution to silence your witness. We are to be the salt of the earth. In our passage that we read, verse 13 of First Chronicles there, it declares... Be strong and be of good courage. Sometimes we are mistaken to think that being a Christian is a soft, easy chore. Many times we have to stand for what we believe. Be strong and of good courage. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, sometimes we strive to be accepted, to be uh, considered level-headed, to be uh, not be a troublemaker, 
But, Lord, you didn't want us to be troublemakers. You just want us to be good witness. You want us to be salty. You want us to cause those that don't know you to thirst after you. So help us to do that. Lord, we don't want to be uh, causing trouble, but we don't want to cave into the world's pressure either. So help us. Help us to choose our battles and choose them well, Lord. Help us to be led of the Spirit. Help us to be bold in our witness before you, even at the cost of being uh, unaccepted, at the cost of being shamed or persecuted. And Jesus, you tell us the world hated you and they're going to hate us. And help us not to let that bother us for as our uh, witness is concerned. Help us to be that good witness of you and your grace and your goodness. Lord, we pray for strength as believers this coming week. No doubt we'll be tested, we'll be tried in our beliefs, and we want to stand firm and stand strong for you, Lord. So help us. By your Spirit, we ask for your help, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.